Praise the Lord. Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to start a brand new series today in the book of James. The book of James is a uh, great book, and uh, it's a powerful book. I've had lots of people tell me how it's their favorite book, and they're so excited that we're going to do this. And I think, yeah, that's, that's great. James is a good, uh, a great book. It just punches you in the mouth about every other ver- verse, right? I mean, it's, and people are like, yes, beat me up, you know? I don't know that I feel that way about the whole thing, but uh, <laughs> uh, it is a powerful book, and uh, I just want to give, just, just for a couple of minutes, let me just give you the background on the book of James. We'll start in verse 1. Uh, the Bible says this, this letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. So who is James? Well, there's a number of folks in the Bible named James that we come across in the New Testament. It was actually the Jewish, uh, the Jewish word is Jacob. If you didn't know that, James is actually Jacob, but our English translation is James. Uh, and so this guy, uh, just to cut to the chase, this guy is named James the Just, and he was the half-brother of Jesus. He was uh, raised in the same home as Jesus, so you got to know he had all the skinny on how Jesus was when he was a kid. Like he knew it all. Now, I doubt, you know, the Bible is very clear. Jesus uh, was tempted in every way. So he was tempted to lie to his mom and talk smack back, right? I mean, all those things that you have done. Jesus was tempted, but he never did. He never had those moments in his life. But James, you know that somewhere in their childhood, James was taunting Jesus, right? How many of you have younger brothers that taunt you? Because that is the job of a younger sibling. And that's what, I'm sure that happened with James. But he was the brother of Jesus. Uh, He was unlikely. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear that Jesus' family did not believe in him while he was doing his earthly ministry. So James did not become a believer until after the resurrection of Christ. He didn't believe in Jesus the way that you and I did uh, or do uh, until after the resurrection. But he became the bishop or the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. So he was the home base pastor. After uh, Acts chapter 2 happened and the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and the end of Acts chapter 2, it tells us about the thousands and thousands of people who began to join the church. Uh, James was the guy appointed and somewhere along the line must have become what, uh, because Paul calls him an apostle. So somewhere along the line, he was welcomed into that apostolic, uh, that apostolic covering in the, in the first century, but he became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He does not in this passage name drop. In fact, if you had written the letter, you would have said, Hey guys, this is James. And I grew up with Jesus. I know more than you know about this guy. But he doesn't do that. He calls himself a slave, a slave of God and a slave of his half-brother, Jesus Christ, which to me indicates he was pretty convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. He was pretty sure at this point that Jesus wasn't just a half-brother or somebody that was in the flesh, a good prophet or a good person, but he was uh, the son of God. And I think that's pretty, pretty powerful here. James was martyred in around 62 AD. So we know that this 
book predates the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, all of which happened in 70 AD. It predates all of that. Paul at this point in 62 was probably in Rome, just to give you context. Uh, The reason James was martyred, because the Pharisees did not like uh, the intensity of his testimony about Jesus. He talked about Jesus way too much and with way too much vigor. So they took him to the temple, they threw him on the steps, and they beat him to death with clubs. That's how James died. All the while, emulating his brother by saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Who is he writing? James says that he's writing to the Jewish 12 tribes, and it's in quotation marks in the Bible, which means that he wasn't just writing to the Jewish believers, although remember, in 62 AD, most of the believers in the world were Jews, and so there weren't, there weren't yet a lot of Gentile believers and people that, like you and I, unless you're a biological Jew, so he's writing to what we would call in theological world the diaspora, which happened in Acts chapter 8, when persecution came to the church in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us that all the Christians scattered all over the Roman Empire. So this was the great scheme of God. This was not something that Rome uh, Rome did. This was really something that the Father God did in order to scatter the Christians around the world. Why? Because seeds needed to be planted in every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And that's what the great diaspora, that's what we call it, the great diaspora. That's a theological term. So now you all know at least one theological term. You're smarter. Can you feel it in the room? (laughs) I can't either. What's interesting about James as the fire of persecution rose uh, in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, James is the one who stayed in Jerusalem to hold the church and lead the movement. He had courage. Why did he write? Well, like many good pastors, I think James got tired of Christian immaturity. He grew weary of Christians claiming the name of Christ, but walking in immature pathways. So he wrote this book to all the believers around the world, gathered or scattered around so that we might attain Maturity. That's the theme of the book of James. If I was to boil it to one word, it is maturity or be mature. Grow up! Have you ever looked at your adult child and said, grow up? Don't say yes if you've done that before. When Eli was about three years old, you may uh, imagine this, he was about the size of a six-year-old. He was not a small baby when he was born. He was huge. I prayed for Amy the whole time. That was a joke. (laughs) But he was big. And so we would go, or not so much me, because I had a job like at the church, but Amy would take the kids, Chloe and Eli at that time, to the playground. And and he would go, and he's a three-year-old, but he's like this big, and he's massive, and whatever. And so everybody, you start playing with kids, you know, at the playground, and he would be a three-year-old. How many of you know what I mean by that phrase right there? (laughs) (laughs) rough and beating people up and running ever and just rambunctious, you know, uncontrollable. And other moms, we didn't even know, but they were, their name was Karen, would be, (laughs) we didn't have that name back then, but now we know what their name was. And they would get frustrated at Eli because he could not, 
he could not control himself like the six-year-old they thought he was, right? Because he was larger or, you know, in, in his physical size than he was in his emotion and his spirit and everything else in him. And sometimes in our believing life with God, we, we come up with people that are the same way. They've been saved for many, many, many years, but they lack maturity in their life. And so Pete Scazzaro says it this way, many, many Christians today are an inch deep and a mile wide. And the things, and here's the thing, the things that were on your life or hanging on to your life the day that you came to Christ, some of you many, many decades ago, some of you just like last Tuesday, but some of those things continue to hang on in your life because you lack maturity. This is why James punches us in the mouth because he says the things that we know to be true but are difficult to deal with. Maturity, though, is God's goal for our life. If you've been saved a long time but still struggling to be transformed, you might be immature. Pete Scazzaro says it this way as well. He says, while we might have Jesus in our hearts, we have grandpa in our bones. And sometimes our family of origin or our sinful past or, you know, that whole part of Hebrews 12, the first couple of verses that we're to throw off the things that entangle and deal with the sin that trips us up and whatever. If we choose not to do those things and instead continue to indulge in them, then we stunt our growth. And while we might look like a six-year-old, we're really only two or three. This is not God's plan. He desires us to have maturity. So I think in James 1, I mean, he comes out of the gate blazing with fire for these things. And he says this in verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, it's nice that he calls us dear, isn't it? Because he's about to hammer us. (laughs) When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Brings us to the first part about maturity. And I just, you know, when you preach expositorily, sometimes it's hard to come up with actual points. <laughs> but I think there's three here that, that we find in the first few chapters of James. And, and this is the first one. Maturity, if you want to be mature, it requires trouble. Maturity, here, De- Deanne's way too excited about that. Mature. <laughs> Mick's like, be quiet. We're going to have problems. No, I bet Mick has never told Deanne to be quiet one time in his life. (laughs) If you're going to be mature, you're going to have to go through trouble. And James says it right there. Look, guys, you're going to go through trouble. Two operative words in in this first sentence. Two operative words. The first one is when. The word when, when troubles of any kind come your way. It is not an if trials will come, it is a when trials will come. So why are we shocked when trials come? Why are we surprised when trials and tribulations come our way? Jesus told the disciples in John 16, in this world, in this life, you will have Trouble, 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 trouble. No, thank you. Thanks for laughing at me. In this world, you'll have trouble. 
It's something uh, of a truth that the church has lost over the last several decades, maybe, maybe a couple hundred years, because uh, if you read the church fathers, if you read St. John of the Cross, for instance, uh, St. John of the Cross is a great saint from the Middle Ages, and he talked about things like this. Doesn't this sound pleasant? The dark night of the soul. Does that sound awesome? I want, a dark, I, want a, I want the dark night of the soul. Nobody wants the dark night of the soul. But it's, it's kind of like in the early church, it was expected. It was something that uh, we knew was going to take place. In fact, the church fathers had sort of a saying that suffering and trials is the natural way of discipleship. That problems in our life and difficulty in this world, not just persecution from unsaved people, but difficulty was going to be the natural way that we grow up in our faith and become mature. Why? Because maturity requires trouble. It can't happen really any other way. You can't get it from reading books and listening to podcasts. Oh, you can grow and you can gain some great insight and knowledge of your faith. How many of you know knowledge only goes so far as your experience? So you can have tremendous knowledge about some of the things we sang about today, the faithfulness of God, and, the, and how he's never failed us and things like that. But until you walk through trial and experience the faithfulness of God, and experience the provision of God. Are you with me? It's really hard to understand and mature in that place in our life. So it's not if trials will come, it's when they'll come. And when they come, they will be of many kinds. Now, the version that I preach from is the New Living Translation, just because I think it's easier to read. It's a paraphrase. But the real translation there would not be of any kind, but of many kinds. There will be diverse uh, trials and tribulations. So James doesn't limit the kind of trials we can, we can experience. He says they're going to be of all kinds. How many of you have experienced many kinds of trials in your life? Some trials are man-made. Have you ever experienced the spirit of stupid in your life? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Some are satanic in nature, but others are sent by God. It's interesting to me as I read some of the stories in the Old Testament how God sent a tormenting spirit or how God sent this kind of a trial or how God sent this. Why did he send it? Well, it's the second operative word. The first operative word in this first maturity requires trouble is when. The second is opportunity. Opportunity. He says that when various trials come, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Not a guarantee. I mean, isn't that the kicker? Don't you, have you ever gone through a trial and thought, man, if I felt joy, then I'd be joyful, but I don't feel joy, so I'm going to be grouchy. You probably didn't put it that way. Why? Because when trials come, it's only an opportunity. It's not a guarantee that joy will happen, and really joy is not the natural or innate response. It's not the fallback response that most people have, but the opportunity to respond to joy through various trials is exactly what spurs us towards maturity, but it's only an opportunity. James isn't saying that our only response would be joy. He is not trying to diminish actual feelings. 
He is not trying to tell you not to feel. You ever tell your kids, just, just don't feel that way? You ever tell your wife, just don't feel that way? That doesn't go well. James isn't saying that we just should push aside the feelings of anger and frustration and sadness and, and grief and things like that. And that's not what I'm saying. And that's not what James is saying. He's simply saying as we walk in our life with God and as we go through various trials through those seasons, we might experience sadness and we might experience pain and we might even have anger and we might have frustration. We might have some of those things, but they are not our fallback position. Our fallback position is the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength, but it's an opportunity. It brings up a great question that I'll just spend a moment on, but why do followers of Christ suffer? Why do followers of Christ suffer? Why is, some would ask, why is there suffering in the world at all? Why does a benevolent, loving, kind God allow suffering? Well, the short answer is it is the shortcut to maturity. It is the shortcut for a believer to maturity, but it is one of the most perplexing and really unanswerable question outside of what we have here in James. We want God to tell us why. Have you ever asked God why? Anybody ever asked God why? Can I tell you that's the one question he won't answer? He's never explained his ways to me. In fact, when David asked about him, God said, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts because my ways are above your ways. So we don't always understand the suffering that God brings to our life or why he allows us to go through difficulty. All we have to do is understand that he still works things for our good, that he is still sovereign, that we can trust him, and that at the end of the day, his goal is to, when we go through trials, to have the opportunity for joy so that we can begin to attain maturity. Maturity requires trouble. Second thing, maturity requires, we see in verse 3, maturity requires endurance. Maturity requires endurance. For you know, verse 3, James says, when your faith is tested, I love that he said, you already know this. So this is a truth that somewhere in our spiritual DNA, we already know. When our faith is tested, you know when your faith is tested, your endurance or your perseverance or your patience or your ability to continue on the path God has set for you has a chance to grow. There's that pesky, unsure word. Is it a guarantee that it will grow? No, it's a chance that it will grow. It has a a, a chance or an opportunity, if you will, to grow. So in verse 4, he says, so let it grow. Let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Wow, how many of you want to get there? James says, let it grow because if endurance doesn't grow then the converse would be true. We cannot grow in our perfection, in our completeness, in our need for nothing. There's really no other way for endurance to grow than through trial and difficulty. So James says, look, if you want to be mature, you've got to understand trials and trouble are going to come. It's going to give you an opportunity to have joy. And if you can find your way to joy, then your endurance can grow. 
You can have better stamina to get through the things in this life if endurance grows. Learning to endure in the face of suffering seems to be a biblical and historical hallmark of those who follow Christ and successfully complete their race. Can I say that one more time? Learning to endure in the face of suffering is a biblical and historical hallmark of those who have successfully finished their race. I've always wondered when old men have moral failure, how that can be. How can someone who has run a race with God and then at the end, the very last part, as Paul said, don't, I don't want to run this race and then be disqualified. How do we keep that from happening? Through trial and trouble, we develop and grow endurance. One commentator said this, the difficulties of life are intended by God to refine our faith. Heating it in the crucible of suffering so that impurities might be refined away and so that it might become pure and valuable before the Lord. The testing of faith here in James is not intended to determine if you have faith, but rather to purify a faith that already exists. You have faith. You believe in God. You believe in his plan. Now he wants to turn the heat up in your life so that you can develop endurance, so that you can have staying power. Christians learn to remain faithful to God over the long haul. Can I just tell you, God, he wants you to have victory today, but he wants you to have victory in 25 years. He wants you to live in victory. He wants you to walk in power and walk in authority for years and years and years for the long haul. I don't know if you've read the Bible, but he is not a microwave God. He is a crockpot God. <laughs> and food in the crockpot is way better than food out of the microwave. That was brilliant. <laughs> he's in it for the long haul with you. That's why he's patient. As you develop endurance and as you grow in your faith and as your faith goes through the crucible of fire and you learn what it is to be faithful and you learn what it is to, be endure, to endure, how many of you know that he's already endured with you the whole time? See, he is the example of that perfection. He is the one that we are to emulate in our endurance. He heats up our life so that maturity may come. Maturity requires trouble. Maturity requires endurance. And lastly, maturity requires wisdom. Wisdom. Verse 5, if you need wisdom, and if I took a poll in here, everybody should raise their hand. Ask our generous God. Man, I love that. He doesn't lack supply of wisdom. Amen? Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. He doesn't go, man, you're such an idiot for asking for wisdom. 
I can't believe. You know how many books are out there? You could read a book. You could listen to whatever. He, you're such a doofus for asking me for wisdom. No, it says that he won't think poorly of you. In fact, it's the, it's the reason Solomon was so blessed by God. Solomon was asked for wisdom, right? God said, whatever you want, Solomon. How many of you would have thought, I should ask for wisdom? Would have been like, you know, I watched Aladdin last night. You would have been like the genie. Hmm, what can I get out of this thing, you know? Instead, Solomon asked for wisdom. You know what the Bible says about the kingdom of Israel because of Solomon's wisdom? Gold was as common as rocks. Why? Because God blessed Solomon. There was wisdom that he had. Why? Because he's a generous God and he gives wisdom to those that ask him. But when you ask him, verse uh, 6 says, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. And why is that important? And I mentioned it a couple of times already. I'm not really a conference guy. Like, if you get, anybody ever get Charisma Magazine? If you look at Charisma Magazine or whatever, Christian publication, you can spend, pastors, people, whatever, you can spend every day of your life just about at a conference somewhere. You can find a book to read, and I love to read, and I read, and I, you should read, whatever else. I'm not saying we shouldn't read, but you, you, know, you can find a book to read about any subject you want. Your marriage needs help. There's 7 million books about marriage. You need to figure out how to parent a kid with ADD. There's 150 of those. You need to learn how to parent uh, uh, orphans or adopted children. There's books about that. Like, how many of you know there's knowledge? We have more knowledge floating around the world right now than we've ever had in the history of man. And it's, at, and it's accessible to you. But God says you can't lean on the wisdom of all those things. Your faith when you need godly wisdom or divine wisdom must be in him alone, not in your knowledge or the books you've read or the podcast you've listened to or whoever your mentor is. Are you with me? And I think that's the challenge. Because we say this, I say this, I say this. Well, God, if I was you, this is how I'd do it. I'm just... I read a book, and I've been in this class, and I've got, my, I've got my master's degree. Like, I've worked on this, God, maybe a little more than you have. And God is saying, listen, if you want the wisdom that comes from God, your faith must be in him alone. Alone. Not in any other thing. God's wisdom surpasses human wisdom. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that the wisdom of men is foolishness to God. Like the wisdom of men is not even the floor of God's wisdom. The ceiling of the wisdom of men is not even the floor of God's. It's like in the basement and below grade. Because God's wisdom so surpasses the wisdom of man. And he provides it generously to those who ask. Asking God for wisdom, though, is different than, than what we tend to do when we're in trial, what's the prayer we pray when we're in trial? God, tell me what to do or get me out of here. But in my case, it's always, I, I can't tell you how many millions of times in my life I said, God, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You just tell me what to do and I'll do it. 
And I just have come to the conclusion that's the wrong prayer. The right prayer is, God, give me wisdom. Help me to walk in your wisdom. And God, guess what God does? He unfolds the what to do as you go through. Does that make sense? Asking God for wisdom. Here's what I think asking God in faith is. Asking God in faith is believing that God can. When you ask God for wisdom or you ask God for healing or you ask God for deliverance or whatever you ask God for, we usually believe that he can do it. But faith takes it one step further and it's not just believing that God can because we know he can do anything, right? Nothing's impossible with God. It is believing that God will. Where do we get that from? Rackshack and Benny. Come on, veggie tail people. <laughs> My peeps. Rackshack and Benny get thrown in, or they're, they refuse to bow to the, to the big bunny, and they. <laughs> it was a bunny, I don't know. The bunny. The bunny. Okay, don't, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. You guys are starting to get me. It's awesome. All right. And they say to Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow. Go ahead and throw us into the fire. We believe that our God can deliver us. And in the next verse, we believe he will deliver us. See, faith is not just believing God can. Faith is also believing he will. He will do what he said he would do. See, Satan can defeat an ignorant believer. But he cannot overcome the Christian who knows the word of God and understands the purposes of God through the wisdom of God. When we go through trials with joy, asking God for wisdom, asking God to strengthen us, asking God to build endurance in our lives, there's no trial, there's no trouble, there's no difficulty, there's no loss, there's no pain we cannot get through. Ultimately, God wants us to, lead, to, be, to be mature, evidenced by our endurance. So how can we measure ourselves today according to James 1, 1 through 8? Well, I'm going to give you five marks of an immature believer based in this passage, and then I'm going to give you five marks of a mature believer. I'm not going to comment a lot because we're going to move into a prayer moment in just a second. Do not waver, verse 7 says, 6 says. Do not waver, but have faith in God. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is, an, uh, is as unsettled as a wave. A wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You don't think maturity is important to God? The Bible says, look, if you don't grow in maturity and endurance and you're as tossed back and forth in your life like a wave, you shouldn't expect God to answer your prayer. You can pray all you want. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. Whew. I told you, you just punch you right in the mouth. Five marks of an immature believer. First one is this, low levels of faith. Low faith levels. An inability to walk in faith and trust God, not only that he can do things, but that he will do things. 
Second one is this, a wavering in loyalty. A wavering in loyalty. I'm not sure that I really want to serve God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I kind of really like these things over here in the world. I love money. I love prestige. I love power. I love all these things that the world offers me, and I want to dabble in the things of God because I know I need to be saved and I need to serve the Lord. But man, I really like this other stuff. Divided loyalty. The third one is this, unsettling in your core beliefs. I want to chalk it up to this, arguing over non-essentials, getting stuck on things that just don't matter is an immature believer. When you see people do that on social media, they are exhibiting an immaturity in their faith. Number four, an emotional, emotional instability, emotional instability Scazzaro says again, you cannot be spiritually mature. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I'll I'll say it this way, and I want to be kind, but I've counseled a lot of people in my life. I'm not a great counselor. I'll I'll just be honest with you. That's not my greatest gift. But the number of men and women who've come into my office and sit down and whine to me and exhibit, and and I know you think, man, this guy's a jerk. I'm not trying to be a jerk. What I see sitting across the room from me is a 40 or 50 or 60 or 90-year-old person who's still in their emotion 12 or 13 years old because usually something happened in their life. Sometimes it's something tragic, there's a show, Amy and I watched a show last night on, uh, uh, called Encore, and it's, anybody ever watch Encore on Disney Plus? Okay. If you like musical theater, what they do is they wait till, which I like musical, they wait till uh, a high school group graduates and like 20 years later and they bring that cast back and redo the show. Okay, that's what it's called. So inevitably in this show, they have this moment where everybody exhibits how they're really still just in high school emotionally. And they cry and they, you know, this happened to me and this whatever, and I've never been able to move on in my life. Can I say that that's acceptable for the world, but it is not acceptable for a follower of Jesus? Not when he comes in and transforms us. Not when he creates a new heart in us when we come to Christ. Not when those who are in Christ are new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So I say all that only to say this. If you have struggled emotionally in your life and you are struggling to mature past that 14 or 15 or 16, you got to be honest with yourself if that's really where you are. It's time to grow up. It's time to put your energy into becoming emotionally strong and emotionally healthy in the things of God, and we can help you and give great resources for that as well. The last one is this, a back and forth of serving God or chasing the world, and we mentioned that a moment ago. What are the marks of a mature believer, according to James? First, patient endurance through trouble. Patient endurance, learning how to be patient in the things of the Lord. Number two, a yielding to God's work through trial. It's this ability to go, God, I don't understand what's happening, and it's messing with me, and I'm confused by it, but I'm going to trust you anyway. 
I'm going to rest on your word and rest in your spirit and in your presence, and I'm not going to let myself be tossed back and forth by all the things that are happening in my life. That's the sign of maturity for a believer. Number three, a continual trajectory towards perfection. Now, we won't be perfect in this, life, in this life, so I will equate perfection to Christ-likeness. How many of you know that as we go through this life, God's goal is we look more and more like Jesus every day? You know that's the Lord's goal? That we should reflect Jesus, we should walk in his steps, we should look more and more like him as we go through our life? So we grow in Christ-likeness. Number four, completeness in him. 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that we have everything we need for life and godliness. We lack nothing. We are complete in the things of God. And that's the fifth one, recognize recognition of zero lack. You have everything you need. There is nothing that you need. And so Peter says this in 2 Peter 1, so make every effort to add to your faith. Here's what that means. Faith is only the starting place. Believing in Jesus is the starting point. If you've not progressed beyond just having faith, then you are stalled out and immature in your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. That's a hard one. It goes through a whole list there you can read yourself. Marks of a immature believer and marks of a mature believer, I think that it is difficult to be self-introspective. In fact, what we like to do is we like to take our life and we like to lay it over the scriptures and we like to look at the scriptures through the lens of our life because then we can kind of live how we want. Doesn't our culture do this today? Isn't the church doing this today? We're redoing the way that we see God and the way that we see heaven and the things that are in the scriptures and, and, and that God is very clear about. We're laying our life over it so that we can reinterpret in a way that reflects uh, the way we want to see it. But a mature believer will take the word of God and instead lay it over their life and look at their life in, in, through the lens of scripture to evaluate, okay, where am I at? How am I growing? How am I advancing? How is God working in my life? It's not just feeling good about the things of God when you come to church and worship. It's easy in this room, guys. It's hard when we go out there. It's harder when we're at work and things don't go well. It's harder when something's going wrong in our family. It's harder to watch our country and our society go through the things that we've been going through lately. But we don't get to switch it. We've got to leave the scripture, the, the Bible, the word of God on top. Amen? Amen. Worship team, if you want to come, here's, here's what I want to do. Man, I thought I could preach shorter. You came in this morning and you received this uh, piece of paper. As Pastor Jim mentioned, it is also on the YouVersion app if you prefer to use uh, the app. But when I talk about taking the scriptures and laying it over your life, this is a way you can do that. So this is a way 
to pray the scripture over your life. And I just want to teach you how to do it. We're going to do it in about four minutes, five minutes. And we're going to move very quickly through these things. But here's the gist of it. We look at the passage of Scripture. So what we're using today is this passage in James chapter 1. You look at this passage of Scripture and you simply uh, look for what God is revealing to us about himself. So in the first, for instance, dear brothers, when troubles come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Well, let's praise the, God, praise the Lord for the family of God. How many of you see brothers and sisters in there? How many of you are grateful for the family of God? How many of you are grateful that when you have the family of God, you don't go through these things alone? Amen? We praise God that you are part of his family. Praise God that he is at work in your life, especially through various trials, and that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Those are the things he's talking about there. So we praise him for that, and then we reverse it, and we ask him. Because of what he shows us, we can then ask him. We can make requests. So we ask him, keep our heart and our soul in him throughout trials. How many of you know that would be important? We ask him for a strong spirit of joy to pervade anything and everything you are facing. And then we just continue down the passage of scripture. So I wrote this, so that's why it's long. Uh, and every, <laughs> every Sunday, as we go through the book of James, I'm going to have one of these for you. And my hope is, my hope is that this will be a tool for you to use in your private devotions, that you can pray this passage of scripture. What if, what if we, the majority of us took this week and just every day, you know, we took 10 minutes and we just kind of prayed through these points and just walked down it and let the Holy Spirit speak to us and whatever. You think that maybe this passage of scripture would sort of get caught in your spirit? That's the idea. And you're releasing these things into your life as you pray them. So uh, we're not going to pray this every single Sunday. Uh, or whatever I write. We're not going to pray it every Sunday, but we will, we will occasionally, uh, as, at the close of the message, just pray this uh, together. So I thought today would be an appropriate day to just, to just jot, run through this together and pray. So would you stand with me this morning, just briefly, and we're going to do this in about four minutes, so we're going to spend 30 seconds or so on each, each part here. So here's how we start. Can we just praise God for the family? And so you lift your voice. You don't pray in your head, but you lift your voice. God, I just thank you for the family of God. Thank you that I am part of this family. Thank you that I am not on my own. I don't have to walk by myself, but you've created this thing called the family of God, and I am part of it, God. Thank you for that. Thank you that you're working in my life. Come on, lift your voice, would you? Thank you that you're working in my life, God. Lord, that you are working through trials in my life. You're working through difficulty. Thank you that the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I am weak, oh God, the joy of the Lord makes me strong. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Now ask him. Go on to those next points. Ask him. God, keep my heart and my soul through you whenever I go through trials. Come on, ask him that, church, would you? I don't want you to listen to me pray. I want you to practice praying, if you don't mind. Jesus, help me to keep my heart and my soul through you. Let it not waver to the left or the right. Let it not be tossed around by the waves and the wind that blow. But let me stay strong in you, God. And would you release a strong spirit of joy in my life, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now we move on to the next verse. I won't read it, but we're going to praise God. He is building your endurance, perseverance, and strength to stand 
and that he is leading you towards maturity, perfection, and completeness. Let's praise him for that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you're actively leading me, God. You are helping me become better at enduring, Father. You are working maturity into my life. You're making me complete in you. God, you're doing a great and mighty work through me right now. Thank you, God, that you are the God that works in me. In Jesus' name. Now ask him for revelation to see what he's doing, for courage to allow endurance to develop, and for revelation of of specific areas he is working to bring maturity. Can you ask him, God, would you just give me special revelation of where you're working, what you're trying to work out of me, what you're trying to develop and grow in me? the maturity that you're trying to bring. Help me to see it, God. If I see it, I won't be afraid. I won't have fear, God. I won't wonder what you're, where you are or what you're working if you'll just show me. So I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to me the things you're hearing from the Father. Give me fresh revelation, I pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And lastly, we praise him that he is the God of wisdom and he desires to give it abundantly to you, and that he is the God who hears your prayer and responds to your faith. Can you thank him for that? Thank you, God. Thank you that you are the God of wisdom. God, there's no wisdom that's greater than yours, but you are the great wisdom giver. You are a generous God when it comes to wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that you give generously to those that ask. Thank you that you hear our prayer. Lord, that our prayers are not uh, just spoken into the air and lost, God, but you hear them. You take them, God. You, You honor them, God, as we speak them to you. In Jesus' name. Now ask him for wisdom. Ask him to speak to your life. Confess any doubt and ask for strength of faith and then to to center your faith on God alone. God, help me to center my faith on you. Help me not to waver. You alone, oh God. I want to believe in you alone. I want to believe in your ways alone. I want to believe in your wisdom alone. I don't want to see anything else. I don't want to walk anywhere else. Lord, I want to know you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now over the room, would you lift your hands to the Lord and thank him for the great plan he has for your life. Thank him for the maturity that he wants to bring to you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, work in us. We release you in this series. We release you in these moments to work in our heart and to bring maturity to us as believers in you. In Jesus' name, let us grow up into the things of God. Let us grow up emotionally. Let us grow up spiritually. Let us be men and women and young people of your word, of your name, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a song to dismiss. Let me ask you this week to make room in your life to pray this prayer, this little prayer model, while you're driving down the road, while you're getting ready, laminate it and put it in the shower, whatever you got to do. That, that, could, that could work. Pastor Mark, that could work. Let's get this in our spirit. Next week, we'll tackle the next section. We'll have a new one for you. Let's pray together and let's, let's see what God will bring in our lives in the coming months. Lead us.